Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to part two of my interview with the Kamenetsky brothers on this episode of Mamba Moments. Uh, I think that it's, it's that attachment to that mentality of overcoming the odds. And I think that some people are able to sort of see the growth of him as a father and everything throughout his life and be really attracted to that path of, of greatness and wanting to sort of embody that and that Kendrick Lamar Nike video, you know, better, a better version of yourself. That's how I've always viewed. Oh, sure. I mean, but what I think is, was what's fascinating, what's, what's interesting about that is like overcoming the odds and this and that, like, it's not like Kobe, like, started his basketball career behind the eight ball. I mean, it's no. like, you know, he was a, you know, grew up with a professional, you know, in a professional basketball environment with a, a father who played professional basketball and, you know, wasn't, I mean, part of, part of his early career, I think some of the, 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 the trouble he had finding an identity was in part because he didn't grow up, you know, in, yeah. you know, in difficult circumstances and he did grow up in privilege and he spoke Italian and he didn't fit into kind of, you know, I think in, he spent know, a lot of his life in general, not fitting in by Correct. at least Absolutely. in the way he, in the way he saw himself, Kobe spent a lot of his life as an outsider, you know, and he was, he, but you know, I think, you know, again, that mythology of you know, overcoming you know, you know, where there's a skill, like through hard work, he became something that, you know, overcame you know, not being naturally gifted, which is absurd. Go back and watch the old dunk contest. <laughs> Kobe's athleticism was insane. He was no, the what pick sure. of the draft. I mean, like, you know, he was, he was a lottery pick at, I mean, at a time when, at a time when nobody, nobody took guards. Yes. Right. Yeah. And yeah. nobody took guards, but that's the mythology. And that what that's part of what he built. And part, a lot of what his fans built into. And I, and, and what, is great about him and i think what you to skylar your point like what fans attach themselves to is the fact that the work ethic yeah, was absolutely wasn't there was nothing man you the one thing that you could say that you know if you even if you're a kobe critic you cannot say that the the work ethic was manufactured you can't say any of that stuff was fake he really was the guy who was in the gym at 3 a.m he really was the dude calling everybody up for every edge and working on every little thing, you know, for hours and hours and hours like that, that dedication to excellence and perfection is something that I think fans and a lot of people of players, peers, whatever, look at and say, I wish I, if I could take a piece of that and put that into my life and be inspired by that, um, my life would be better too. And I, that, that is something genuine that I think yeah. Kobe gave people that is unrelated to sort of the the myth building wow that's that's an excellent uh viewpoint for sure and i completely agree and now i think the only time kobe might have overcame the odds was rebuilding sticking around for the rebuild that was sort of when i was more impressed with him overcoming the odds was when when they won without when he won without Shaq after going through the kobe and smush years and that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes these days. They did try to leave. I, I was going to say. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 2007, you requested the trade. They sort of, they sort the of trade. ignored him. I mean, if yeah. it was up to him, he would have left. Yeah, yeah. Like, Just that he ended up winning, though. Again, I mean, he, yeah. he stuck around because he was literally stuck. You know, and eventually, eventually it worked out great. And, you know, to Kobe's credit, he accomplished exactly what he wanted, which was to win championships as the unquestioned focal point of a team. 
and he yeah. did it and he played exceptionally well during that period. But, you know, I mean, Brian and I were there for the, uh, the trade request year and yeah. like, Oh my God, that was insane. Like my, my wife, then girlfriend at the time, I remember there was like a 36 hour period where she, she was like, have you left your desk? I'm like, no, I haven't. Cause every time I start to get up, something new happens. Like I, I, wow. I can't leave. <laughs> like, like I that's don't think incredible. I've left this chair in like 36 hours. Wow. Well, that is, that's a great memory you share there. And that brings me into my next question here. What is, and, and Brian, actually, I know I've heard the Odom story, so I'd love to elaborate on that on that. But what are your favorite memories of covering, covering Kobe? Whether a question you asked him, uh, a game that you covered, but what are your favorite memories of covering Kobe? You know, it's, it's there, there are a bunch. I mean, you can kind of divide them up into, you know, times. You know, we've had, we were lucky enough to sit down with him for a couple of stories that we were working on, just have him talk through. We, you know, we did a story about Andy Bernstein, the, the uh, photographer, yes. you know, the NBA photographer that Kobe was very generous with his time for because he loved Andy. Um, and so, you know, stuff like that where you get a chance to just kind of hear him talk, you know, if you pulled him aside, he was, he was very good. You know, back in, in, in those days, you could, you know, grab a guy on his way to the locker room and if he'd stop and talk to you, you know, we were around long enough that we asked, you know, Kobe a, a quick question on the side, he'd answer it. And he was always, you know, thorough and thoughtful about for someone things. of his stature he was very accessible i would agree we found i mean you you sometimes needed to wait you mm -hmm. know you would have to be willing to uh you know take a seat because there was a there was a lot that often uh came with kobe wrapping up everything like after a practice or after a game yeah but he was actually i i, I typically found very accessible mm -hmm. for someone of great stature and if, and if you, and if he thought you were a person who kind of put in the time and, and, and respected, sort of respected his time and respected the, the, you know, then, and he'd give you the answers. He'd give you good answers about stuff. Um, He's actually very good with media. Yeah, I, I found, I think so, particularly as it went along, um, you know, but the, you know, they're obviously the games, you know, you're at 81, you're at 60, you know, his final game. And, um, you know, the free throws that, you know, watching him at those free throws, yeah. um, against golden state at with the Achilles was, you know, is, is sort of an indelible Amazing. moment. Um, you know, there are little things, Andy, what was he making fun of? We had, he came into the, the media room one day where he's, and he was mocking Sasha. Was it about the, oh, God, you're going to have to be more specific. No, but it was like, it was, it was the opposite of the time when fish came in after he saw <laughs> the, the Kobe LA times white, you know, outfit oh, man. things. And Fish 100% thought it was a goof. Um, yeah, he, he thought it was Photoshop. hesitant to say anything about it um, because he was he was absolutely sure that, that those pictures were not real. Uh, but God, I can't remember what it was, but like he just I mean, showed him something that Sasha did. It might have been like these, you know. Was it, did we show him Sasha's like volleyball videos? Well, I think it was his stuff from his website. I, I don't remember the details. But just watching the the joy and the wheels spinning about all the crap that he was going to give Sasha over this stuff, that was fun. Um, just like you, so like you, he, there were. It's the flip side of when Sasha in 2010 against Phoenix in the playoffs started that beef with Goran Dragic that all of a sudden swung the game in Phoenix's favor, and and like the Lakers barely pulled out this game like wow. and Kobe was the main reason that they pulled out like I, I remember Kobe afterwards was asked about that and he was like you know I, I, I'm sort of joking like I'm gonna kill Sasha I'm not joking like if they had lost that game 
He'd have I think him. Kobe would have literally murdered Sasha. He would have killed him. Um, like, <laughs> like, you, know, you, you see, like you know, the little moments of him in the in the tunnel with with his daughters, and like, yeah. It, it, over time, not I mean, I would never claim to know the guy on any kind of personal level, um, but over time, you get a full, relatively full picture yeah. of, of who he is, and you have these moments where it is more casual, and you're just sort of talking to somebody, and he was incredibly smart, and you know that that you know, and thoughtful and intellectually curious and, and all of that, which is, I think the big, that's the factor I think that separated him most from, from somebody like MJ was just that intellectual curiosity that Jordan doesn't have. And so, you know, hearing those sorts of, hearing him talk about stuff as, you know, as his, his career got later. And, you know, he, I think enjoyed answering questions and talking about things that go, went beyond basketball that those were yes. sort of, it's not one memory specifically, but it's sort of a, an overall picture that you get uh, yeah. over time. No, the again, evolution. there were other people who knew him much, much better than than either of us did. Hundred percent, no. But the the evolution and, and reading those interviews, and you guys brought up a few things that uh, really pre- piqued my interest and brought up some things because, first of all, there's yes, of course, the infamous uh, white suit picture. That was something interesting <laughs> about Kobe was that he. He failed on the public stage and, and overcame it. And that was really interesting. And one of the funniest things that you guys talked about that so few people know about, Kobe had like a purple Sesame Street sock puppet muse cage show. And you guys actually talked about that <laughs> on your show. And I oh, barely we, we found people to talk love, about. We got a lit. lot of mileage out of the I muse love cage. Muse, muse, Ever. Yes. Love I want to hear what, what, about that and your thoughts on it. And then follow up with, what, with where that intellectual curiosity comes from or talk about that because it all plays in together it was amazing the white suit thing what made that remarkable other than the fact that the outfit was just what the f is this kobe <laughs> was an amazing dresser like he was a terrific dress there was a there was this one i don't remember which game it was but there was a post-game press conference where brian and i independently we were not sitting next to each other during this post-game presser both of us got lost in how amazing the suit Kobe happened to be wearing that day was yep. like this, this probably was anywhere from like, I'm, I'm guessing like a five to $10,000 suit. It was oh, probably more than un- that, but probably more. I don't know. I, I don't know how much suits go up to. I just know <laughs> this, the, the stitching. He didn't get that, it at Jose bank. <laughs> it, no, it, well, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, they don't sell that stuff anyway. This was un like, this suit was amazing. We both became like separately, mesmerized and both ended up revealing afterwards like did you catch kobe yes that suit was unbelievable so like this guy with impeccable taste as a dresser would always like once or twice a year bust out a lulu that you were like oh my god the la times thing was very i mean it was absurd but it was very fashion forward sure it was was risk-taking it was all that stuff it was it was a fashion shoot in in sort of the most forward sense of the term too forward Run very much runway fashion rather than GQ fashion. Yes, it just, it just seemed like something that Kobe would have had the fashion sense to say no, like not this. Let's go forward, but let's not go this far forward. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you were talking about that intellectual curiosity, and Brian and I years ago did an interview with this director and uh, documentarian named David Gelb, and he directed this documentary called uh, "Utero Dreams of Sushi." It's this amazing documentary about this man who is considered the greatest sushi sushi chef in Japan. And like the meticulousness of how he goes about creating sushi 
And also too, he has these two sons that were basically, I believe it's two sons expected to take over the empire that he built in, in the world of sushi and, and the pressure that that created. But he told us this story about how he got cold called by Kobe. And, you know, in the beginning, like he was told like, you know, Kobe Bryant's on line two or something. He's like, yeah, right. Okay, whatever. And then he's like, no, seriously, Kobe's on the phone for you. And Kobe called him because he wanted to, he wanted to talk with him about the process of making that movie because Kobe really enjoyed it. And also, you know, we saw later on, he went into a creative space. So he was always looking to learn more about that, but also too, that he, he was fascinated by the process with uh, the sushi maker. So that, that just speaks to what drove Kobe as an athlete, but also drove Kobe as a creative and as an intellectual. And as Brian said before, like somebody that was just very curious about things in general. He, he is among the most intellectually curious athletes or really people that either one of us has ever been around. And, and that, and, you know, Kobe used to talk all the time about how he would cold call Oprah, cold call Steven mm. Spielberg. And Brian and I would always joke, like, that's not cold calling because when you do that, they're going to pick <laughs> up, like if Brian or I call Oprah, that's cold calling. But the difference, though, is, and what makes us admirable about Kobe was a lot of people in his position wouldn't do it because they would either think that they know everything or don't have to, or they have enough resources, or they've been so successful in sports that they would just figure that success would always translate into whatever. Kobe was smart enough to know what he didn't know and would want to just learn more. And that was always really interesting to watch. I mean, when he, when he called this director, this is when he was still an active player. This wasn't even after he'd retired, but you know, he just wanted to learn more. Uh, that's awesome. And before we move on to our, our final question here, anything else you guys want to say on that infamous muse cage and, and that related to Kobe? I, just, I mean, I, it's, it's, it, it, it was ridiculous. <laughs> that, that puppet. I mean, I, but I, I like to picture and Andy and I have joked about this, like, that Kobe actually kept like his those muses. people in his basement. Like he, like he he actually had all you know Versace in a cage in his basement. Like yeah, it'd be like, like Saw. It would, like it'd be like the movie Saw, and he would keep <laughs> these muses in his cage until he could extract from them what he would want. And then I guess he'd let them. I don't know. Saw he was their, the original. Their he was the original. Out of there or he was like the Monstars guy. Like he would just suck the essence out of you know, these artists that, you know, John Williams and whatever, oh, until he could do all of these King. things and learn from them. And I, absolutely, I like the idea of it. Um, I mean, it's just, but again, it's like, it's, he is, he was sort of unafraid to put himself out there for things that he thought, you know, he liked the idea of the muse cage and like, that was yeah. very clearly a Kobe thing. And, you know, the puppet was bizarre and ridiculous like the you know muse cage it's just sort of a weird word but yeah. it was fun um yeah like it but but what was it you know we teased it was spent we really did make fun of him a lot for this um you know but like always with respect for the underlying uh, principle of why these people were inspiring to him and like andy was talking about that he actually took advantage of the access that he had to go seek these people out. And it started very early in his career. It wasn't just like something he rounded into late. He was doing that the whole time. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, we've seen, you see it all the time. People who have access to, to great 
people and great minds don't necessarily use it. And so um, that, that was, it was admirable even while you could kind of make fun of him on the details. And just to correct myself quickly, Glenn Keen, not Arkeen. But uh, yeah, yeah it was, it, but we loved the idea of the news cage. And like, we really, we hope that it was- took it more literally, I think, than he did. No, we, we really hope that it was a much more violent, dark place than it probably was. <laughs> But yeah. we, we, we still maintain hope that Kobe sure was treated captives. them okay yeah. in, in captivity. But I mean, I, I, mean, don't, okay. I don't want to like come up with a scenario where Kobe has to be unnecessary. <laughs> we don't want to make a, we don't want to make him out to be a monster as he's holding these people hostage. Right, but it's just no. until he can extract their essence. Yes. Yeah. I'm he sure they're hostage bad. in his mind to to get all the wisdom all from them. Stuff. And no, I know that he had the pictures uh, in his office too of Oprah and Steve Jobs and all of his muses and uh, very cool stuff. I, I think one of the coolest things you guys elaborated on is, you know, how he just put himself out there. I mean, it was ridiculous. He didn't care if he looked like Kobe Bryant trying to do Sesame Street. And that's exactly what it looked like. And, and he still did it. And, and you got to respect uh, that work ethic and being able to put yourselves out there. Guys, it's been so fun talking about Kobe. So I'm going to close off with a question here for you guys. How do you feel Kobe Bryant? either influenced or inspired your own careers or otherwise how you just sort of sum up the whole experience covering Kobe. I, hmm. I, I don't necessarily see, I, I look at it as something I was very fortunate to be able to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, he is as important an athlete as, you know, my lifetime has produced and to be able to, um, legitimately say like I was there when these things happened and I was around this person who was remarkable even if there were other people who were uh more intimately uh tied to him than 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 I was was still there and I got to see a lot of stuff and I had real conversations with the guy and uh you know developed I, I hope at least a little bit of insight over time and you know it's just it's it's not most people don't get to do that. And so it's, it's, it's cool to be able to say for this figure who was um, so important to the city and so important to, the, to, to uh, you know, sports that, yeah, this is something that I legitimately got to experience. Yeah, I, I don't want to overplay this to make it sound like I, I was you know, taking Mamba-esque inspiration towards my professional life because I, I just think that would be disingenuous. But one thing, though, that I did really dawned on me after Kobe's death um, just how much of my professional life was connected to Kobe. I mean, more, you know, covering the Lakers, certainly during Kobe's period, but even, I mean, during Kobe's career, but even for a while after Kobe's retirement really meant you were covering Kobe. Like in, in a lot of ways, that's what you were doing. And then there was no athlete that was even close to defining the work that I did, you know, whether for the LA times or for ESPN or on air for 710 ESPN, or even, even when Brian and I, you know, writing for the athletic, we didn't begin the athletic until two years after Kobe retired, there was still that presence of Kobe, you know, either a part of the pieces that we wrote or sometimes directly, uh, directly linked in subject matter. Like he was just, he was this very big presence um, over the organization, over the entire city. And, you know, I, I was always aware of this, but it really dawned on me, you know, in these 
you know, unfortunately tragic circumstances, just how much of my career really had been linked and, and kind of defined by Kobe. And that's, you know, that that's something that is going to be, you know, part of part of my career moving forward as well. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's very interesting to think about it along those terms that just you, the work that I've done has been so directly connected to an athlete that is legitimately seen as iconic, you know, so that, that, that's, it's an interesting space to be in. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know how you sum it up better than that. Uh, the model lives on, you know, absolutely. And, and you guys have done such an excellent job of sharing that legacy and providing various insights. And I'm so appreciative of you guys for stopping by this podcast today. Now, Andy and Brian, you got to tell the viewers, where can we find you? Where can we find your work nowadays? All of that. I think the easiest way to do it is just to kind of keep track of us on Twitter at Cam Brothers. Um, you know, you can catch you know, all the stuff we're doing the, you know, between the podcasts, uh, you know, the Land of Lakers podcast. Um, but then all the other stuff, we rarely do anything that Andy doesn't get funneled through Twitter or Kamenetsky yeah. Brothers on yeah. Facebook. Um, so there's also uh, uh, there's a couple things, hopefully, in the works that we can't quite say yet, ooh. but uh, be on the lookout for. Yeah. We are, Again, or, and if you follow us on Twitter, I promise you. Yes, we will mention those. Oh yeah, you'll you you will be you'll be hearing enough about it to the point yeah. where you'll probably unfollow us. But yeah. if, if you want to hear about it before eventually being sick of us, go to at, at Cam, Cam Brothers. Brothers. Not to get sick of these guys, they're awesome. I'm so appreciative of you guys coming on the podcast for the first episode with Believe, and definitely check out all their work and the Land of Lakers podcast also on Believe. So Mamba forever, Mamba out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.